Father, we thank you for your words. Father, just as they fall within our hearts, it brings light to us. Father, it brings hope to us. Father, it just brings such a joy to us when we hear your words. Lord, we know that sometimes your word can come and bring a challenge to us, a correction. Um, And Father, we need to hear those words. We need to hear all that you have to say to us. Um, Father, we're just thinking this morning, somebody mentioned about you being our father. And Lord, as a father, I know that we have to say all sorts of things to our kids in order to help them to stay on the right track. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to hear all of your words that would keep us walking on the path that you have set for us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, um, we're going to just kind of mention a few scriptures this morning. Um, Not one specific one, although we're going to focus a little bit on David's story in the book of Samuel and in Chronicles. We're going to start off by a verse that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And it says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. No matter what you do, do all of it for the glory of God. We're talking this morning about fruitful lips, kind of following on from where we were last week. And uh, really, we're talking about praise. What does it mean to, to praise God? And I have been in many, many different denominations over the years, each with their own style and emphasis when it comes to, to, to worship. And so I've been in a number of different church settings in one way or the other. I've been in the Salvation Army. I've been in the Brethren. I've been in the Church of Scotland. And experienced what it was like to worship there. I've been in the Reformed Presbyterian, singing psalms, unaccompanied. I've been in independent evangelical churches. More recently, I've been in the Roman Catholic Church a couple of times, mostly for funerals, I have to say. And uh, a recent acquaintance of mine, uh, who is a Roman Catholic gentleman, who's also a spirit-filled believer. Um, when we met together, there was a, a real understanding that we were on the same page as far as faith is concerned. And he still worships in the Roman Catholic Church. Been in Episcopal churches, uh, the Church of England, that was unusual, very different. Been in the Baptist Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Charismatic Churches, youth celebrations, kids celebrations, services where they use liturgy, and I've been in all sorts of services, lots of different ways that we approach worshipping God. And last but not least, I've also been in the big cathedral. It's called Outside. Right? The Cathedral of the Outdoors. And the Bible tells us that nature speaks of God, doesn't it? Um, I was just sitting in my office this morning, and there's this little bird outside which began the praise this morning. It was just doing what it had been designed to do. And its song was absolutely incredible. I need to look it up to find out what it was. Perhaps maybe a song crush. I'll chat with Tim about it. And it was just doing what God has made it to do. And it sounded happy. In the great cathedral of outside. And I actually had to stop what I was doing, open up the door, and just listen. Outside. I stood outside and listened to this little thing, giving praise to God. Even, even the sparrows, God knows the sparrows, he knows when one falls. They're all important to him. And that's the kind of God that I serve and love. 
Lots of different types of services, lots of different ways of worshipping. And I think the main question is whether or not there's a real expression of the indwelling life of Christ in worship to God. Is the life of God in us and is it expressed in our worship? See, I think worship is what we are when God's not look- when nobody's looking. God's always looking. Worship is what we are when nobody's looking. It's the real you. Who knows that when nobody's around and nobody's watching what you're doing or listening to what you're saying and you're just yourself, that what is really inside you shows, doesn't it? Especially if you're having a little niggle with somebody in your family. Okay? And there's nobody else around. There's nobody from the church there. You know, the neighbours aren't there. Maybe they can hear what's happening through the wall, mind you. But worship is what we are when nobody is looking. Worship is how we deal with life, how we deal with people, how we deal with difficulties, how we deal with illness, how we deal with our finances, with our families, with our work colleagues. All of these can be an expression of worship. And to come back to the verse that we mentioned at the start, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Even when nobody's looking. What are we doing for the glory of God even when nobody is looking? Um, I've lost my place my notes. Sorry, I'm even, I've only started. The real question is, when we strip everything back, and it's just us and God, what is it like? Is your life surrendered to him fully? Or are there areas in our lives that remain strongholds that are unsurrendered? Areas that we don't let God into? You say, you can have all of me except this bit. I don't, I can't, I can't let that go. I don't want to deal with that. And I think if we are in that place, then what God wants to say is that you need to release that. You need to give it over to God. You need to surrender to God and trust God to help you through that thing. Is there in our hearts an attitude of gratitude that overflows in worship to Him? Are our hearts right before God? And the Bible is very clear about the heart. It's clear about some of the things that we need to grapple with. And uh, I'm coming back to this. Uh, I never really went into this last week, but I felt that I should. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Many will be familiar with this passage. It says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can know it? Who can understand it? And I think left unattended, remember we talked about weeds Last time I talked about my garden and it gave you um, some perplexity, Barbara. Um, the, the weeds that have grown in my garden because last year um, I just didn't get a chance to do certain parts of it. I broke my wrist. I, I couldn't use the, the tools in the garden. I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. So um, the result is that I look out this year and there's all this work that lies ahead of me to get things sorted out. But our hearts can be like that, left unattended. 
and unchecked, all sorts of things can begin to go there. And this is why Solomon encourages to guard our hearts because they are the wellspring of life. Jesus challenged the Pharisees on this very same thing. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And then he says this. I can't believe Jesus would use words like this. Brood of vipers. How to win friends and influence people, eh? How can you, being evil, speak good things, he says? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The condition of our hearts, as we think about worship, as we think about, about praise, is of vital importance. If worship is what you are when no one is looking, praise is the fruit of lips, an overflow of the content of our hearts. You know, our bodies can be engaged in worship, but our hearts can be empty, or worse. If our hearts are empty, then our praise is no more than empty form, formalism. And that often leads to another thing called hypocrisy. If there's nothing in our hearts, and we're going through the motions, and we're not really there, and the stuff that needs dealt with, then we're going through the motions. The dictionary definition of hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have higher standards or more noble beliefs than is the case. I think all of us need to be slow to speak and quick to listen unless we make claims about ourselves that are simply not true. Perhaps we should also be slow when it comes to singing praise to God if our hearts are not right. Perhaps where we need to start if our hearts are not right is in confession and repentance. I think that's where we start off. If there are things in our hearts that are stopping us from connecting with God, then we come before Him and we name those things before God and we surrender those things to God and that we repent, we turn around the other way and we invite God to come in and to fill our hearts and then when we're in that place praise overflows thankfulness overflows in our lives and talking about the overflow of our heart David was a man who praised God when you read through the Psalms and they're not all by David but many of them are the Psalms are an overflow of praise from a heart that is devoted to God. When Samuel, the priest, rebuked Saul, who was the king before David, for his disobedience to God, and then spoke to David, he spoke to David, uh, spoke about David this way, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and, and appointed him leader of this people. First Samuel 13, verse 14. Samuel is saying this to Saul. He's saying, you've been disobedient and now God is going to put in a new king. A man after his own heart. Somebody that he has appointed to lead the people. And we read this again in Acts um, chapter 13 verse 22 when Paul says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, 
a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Did David get everything right? Did David never make any mistakes? Certainly not. He made some pretty catastrophic errors in his life. You see, what defined David was what he did after the mistake. He got himself right before God. He recognized that he had sinned against God. He rebuked that sin in himself, albeit to be confronted first. But he replaced that with worship to God. If you read Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is his psalm of repentance. You see, it's not about getting everything right. It's about what we do after we get it wrong. We all make mistakes. And David, if you read the Psalms, there's a heart full of praise. There's a heart that looks at himself and goes, Woe is me. What a mess my life is in. But he turns himself around time and time again. He presses into God and God comes through. And it's with David in mind that we think about this story from Second Samuel. And we see in this story, it will be Second Samuel chapter 6, if you want to look it up. What we see in this story is David's heart for worship. The whole thing is about the Ark of the Covenant being returned to its rightful place in Jerusalem. And if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, you've got two choices. Read the Bible or watch Steven Spielberg. Okay? I recommend reading the Bible, although John Williams' music in the film is very good. And the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen... And they wanted this thing to come back to Jerusalem. If you've never read about the Ark of the Covenant, I recommend that you do. The Ark of the Covenant was that symbol of God's presence. Inside it were the the Ten Commandments that God had written out for Moses. Aaron's rod which budded. It was in the place in the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. The place where only the priest would go. And he wouldn't go every time. But he would go once a year. And he would have to get himself ready to come in to God's presence. The the Ark of the Covenant was the centerpiece of worship in Israel because it represented God's presence. It says that God dwelt there in the Ark above the cherubim. And it had been carried away by the Philistines when they attacked Jerusalem. And it caused all sorts of problems for the people who had had it. Read the story yourself in Samuel, 1 Samuel. But 2 Samuel chapter 6 talks about how the ark comes back, and I'm missing a little bit, but read 2 Samuel chapter 6 for yourself. Read the story. But verse 12, it picks up and says, Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. He'd went to get the ark before, he'd brought it back so far, it almost fell off the cart, Somebody put their hand out to stop it. I think his name is Uriah from memory. And as he stopped, as he tried to stop the ark from falling, it says that God struck him down dead for touching the ark. My goodness. And so David, he says, I don't want this thing coming into Jerusalem because what's going to happen if it comes into Jerusalem? And so they send it off to this man called Obed-Edom. And it says that his house, his household is blessed through the ark being there. And David goes, well, maybe... That will be okay after all. We want some of that kind of action. 
And so David went down and brought up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. There's something in here about the way it talks about it. He didn't just go down and go, let's bring it up. And we're all kind of like, you know, bring the ark up, get it in place. And all organized and, you know, we've, we've sorted out, planned everything and everything's timed out. And it, it says that he brought it back with rejoicing. And there was organization as well, by the way. And it says, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. There was that act of worship as they were bringing the ark back. And it says, David, wearing a linen ephod, which was the garment the priest would wear, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire household of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. There's something about this story that captures my imagination. The, the, the picture of celebration in this story as they're bringing the ark back to its rightful place, seeking to do what's right before God, and they are rejoicing. It says that they're rejoicing with shouts, with the sound of trumpets. There was celebration. And when we read the parallel account in First Chronicles chapter 15, it gives us a little bit more information. Now David was clothed, Verse 27, Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were the Levites, who were the priests, who were carrying the ark, and as were the singers, uh, sorry, and as were the singers, and Ken, I take a drink, I think, Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing, sorry, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. This is what happens when I'm tired. Okay, I don't read the same when I'm tired, but I think my dyslexia kicks in. So, my apologies. Um, let me just start from the, the beginning. First Chronicles 15:27. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were the Levites, who were carrying the ark, and as were the singers, and Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod, so all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sound of ram's horns, and trumpets, and of cymbals, and the playing of lyres and harps. The picture is one of celebration. The whole person is involved in what is happening here. Musicians, singers, priests, the people who were working to make this happen, and the people who were rejoicing. It's a scene of total jubilation. It's a scene of celebration. You can almost feel the excitement as you read these words, as you read it. You can almost sense the expectancy that God's Ark of the Covenant is coming back into its rightful place and that God is going to do something. And what stands out to me in this story, amongst many other things, but what stands out is the praise which David exhibits. His worship is expressed in such a vibrant way. It says here that he danced before the Lord with all his might. When was the last time you danced before the Lord with all your might? Who's been to Akele here? Hands up. Okay, own up, own up. Who's been to Akele? 
right? And that music, once it's playing and your foot starts tapping, and somebody comes and drags you up to your seat, usually the ladies dragging the men up to dance, and you whirl around and you're hooking and hooking, and there's just such a celebration, you know. You know, I, I love being at a Kaylee, and I love Kaylee dancing, and I love making a big noise about it. And then we come into church and we're like, And you kind of think, if we can do that in the Kaylee, which is just about having a good time with each other, and that's great, why, when we come into God's house, do we go, need to be serious in here. God doesn't have a sense of humor. In our life group, I just heard Jillian laughing there. In our life group, the other night, everybody was laughing uncontrollably at the same time. And we didn't even know why. It's good to laugh, isn't it? It's good to celebrate. Even when things aren't going right, we sung that song this morning, Blessed Be Your Name. Even when we're in the valley, when we're in the place where there is no laughter in us, God still wants us to celebrate and to praise His name because He is worth it. David danced with all his might. The psalm we read from at the start says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord, to come where God's people are, to come where God's presence is, and to worship. How with my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Kaylee, who can in whatever we do, in church. That's not what the scriptures say. Now, I understand that we all approach these things differently. All those denominations which have been in some form of worship service or another. Different. Each hopefully expressing something of the life of God that is within that person. We have something to celebrate, folks. We have something to be joyful about. We have a God who has done incredible things for us and has placed us in a wonderful world. We know that the scripture tells us that creation is groaning, it's waiting in hope for the an expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. We understand that. And we understand that our world is in the process of decay all the time. But man, we look out and we see what God is doing in his world. And we just look at it and we go, wow, this is amazing, the cathedral of the outdoors. And I look at it and my soul sings how great thou art. It's just incredible. And that's the picture that we see here. In this story of the ark coming back, David celebrated, the people celebrating, the musicians playing. It's been a while since I've played, so my fingers are... But think about it. Everything, with their whole being, body and soul, giving worship to God. But in this story, in this story, not everybody was happy. If you've read the story, you'll know what I'm going to say next. There are different trains of thought in this. 
Well, for whatever reason, David's wife, Michael, who is also King Saul's daughter, looked on in utter derision. First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 29 says this. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. There's the first thing that we need to notice is that she was not participating. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. Man, they're strong words. They're strong words. One commentary says this, the basic meaning of the root word that is used here, despise, uh, is to accord little worth to something. And while this action may or may not include overt feelings of contempt or scorn, the biblical usage indicates that the very act of undervaluing something or someone implies contempt. And yet, David danced. David danced with all his might. He realized that he had an audience of one. And if ever there was an encouragement an encouragement not to be consumed with what other people think about us, it is here. And at the end of the day, we should be so focused on God that we are not noticing what others are doing. Although I do appreciate that that can be difficult and challenging. One night we were at a youth event and I was standing kind of on the outside of, of the aisle and there was this lady who was giving it her all in worship waving a scarf around and it was quite distracting for me and partly because I nearly got my eye out with the thing and I was like it'd be really helpful if she did that back up there and didn't try to hit me with a scarf and it was a little bit distracting for me but what I realised later on is that I was actually judging that person I felt quite bad about that because I don't know what was going on in her heart between her and God as she was worshipping God that way. Now, maybe she lacked a bit of sensitivity in where she was and what was round about her and, you know, spatial awareness and all this kind of stuff. I'm one of those people who can see people coming behind. And just that's the way I am. <laughs> and some people you go, yeah, you're just about to back into somebody and you're like, how did you listen? So I, I'm quite kind of spatially aware. I'm aware of my environment. Not everybody is. But it wasn't my place to judge that lady for the way that she was worshipping God. And there was a challenge there for me as I thought about that. God alone knows our hearts. I don't know what's in your heart. And you don't really know what's in my heart. Other than that which is expressed through my words to you or my body language to you. You don't really know. But we get a little hint. But God knows the depths of our heart. He knows the detail of our hearts. He knows everything that's going on there. And so the heart is that place that's so important to be guard because out of that comes our worship and our praise. Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman and they got into a discussion about worship. The very fact that Jesus was talking to a woman at a well was just an incredible thing. And so they get into this conversation and she's talking about, you know, we Samaritans, we worship here and you guys are there and whatnot. And Jesus says to her this, 
a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. You know, sometimes it's easier to define something by what it's not. What is it talking about here? And what I think Jesus is saying is that worship is not about empty rituals and it's not about the forms that we adopt. Worship is that which springs from our hearts. If it's not coming from the heart, if there's no life in it, then that's not what God is looking for. God desires to live in us through His Holy Spirit and to express Himself through us in worship. The Holy Spirit helps us in this whole area. And it can bring life to a whole body. And I think what God is looking for is authentic worship. People who are genuine. Not people who have just been through the motions. Not people who have just been through some kind of form. Not people who say one thing and do another. But God is looking for people who are authentic, who will worship Him, and who will give Him all that is within them. Sarah had a little book uh, when she was a child called Jesus Wants All of Me. And I think God is after all of us in worship. The whole of us, body, soul, and spirit. You know, our bodies only do what we tell them to do. Well, that's not entirely true, but you know what I'm saying. Um, sometimes our bodies have a mind of their own, but um, generally our bodies do what we direct them to do. So our body is a servant to who we are. Our body doesn't make the decisions we do. We make the decisions. We tell our bodies what to do. We're in control, or we should be in control, of our own faculties. Therefore, what is at the core of us, the, the core of command centre, if you like, is of utmost importance when it comes to worship. We use our bodies for worship. My fingers this morning as I was holding down the strings of that guitar, and they were reminding me it's a while since I've done this. Right? My body was giving me feedback this morning, saying this is a wee bit sore. Should we practice more often? or not playing, make your mind up. But we use our voices to sing and to pray. We raise our hands in worship as our bodies respond to what's going on in our hearts. And if you've never raised your hands in church and worship, well, have you ever been to a football match when your team scored the goal? We talked about that last week. Yeah? You're not just raising your hands, you're up at your seat and you're giving a laldy. Even people uh, who are maybe at a protest march, they're like, oh! you know, the body responds to what's going on inside. And so the challenge is, what is actually going on inside, and is it producing within us praise and worship to God? Are our whole bodies engaged? And I'm not saying in a commanding sort of way. You need to be raising your hand in worship. Okay, just to be clear because it needs to come from in here. Okay? Tears sometimes flow. Sometimes tears of joy. Sometimes tears of repentance. Sometimes tears of just such a deep sense of gratitude for who God is and what God has done for us. There's laughter as well. 
I remember times in this church where the Holy Spirit came upon people and they just started laughing uncontrollably. I mean, it wasn't even because somebody had said a joke. It was just the Holy Spirit coming upon people and just laughter springing out. I quite fancy some of that. But there can be that in our hearts that is expressed through our voices as we rejoice in our salvation, as we rejoice in this community of faith in which God has placed us, as we rejoice in our relationship with God. It's good to laugh together. And I mentioned how we do that in our group sometimes. We play instruments. And we, 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 we sometimes get carried away when we play instruments. Right? The guitarist always wants to crank up that little bit louder. Am I right, Derek? But the bass players, my goodness, they want to dominate everything. Yeah? And turn it right up. I like the bass as well, I have to say. The drummer gets carried away. Yeah? And, and, and just the sound comes out as we express what's inside of us, and sometimes even just the playing, I've been here in times past, not even singing, just playing and realizing that what I'm doing is worship to God. You know, the story about the art coming back, he'd he'd set up the singers, the musicians, everybody was there playing their part, and there's something even about playing where you feel actually that you're connecting with God just through using an instrument. Connecting with God through what you're singing. It even says in First Chronicles chapter 6, these are the men that David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest there. And it says here, verse 32, they ministered with music before the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They performed their duties according to the regulations laid down for them. And there's something even incredible about music as we worship God. And it's probably worth doing a wee study through the Bible and how music is used, studying its own right. And there's something kind of mysterious about music, the effect that it can have on us. Even people who are not musical, you can listen to music and it can have an effect on you. It can stir the soul. I remember when our kids were just wee, they were just babies, and they have music on in the house, and they're holding them in their arm, and moving about in time to the music, so that the rhythms of what were, the music that was on would get into them, and begin to feel rhythm, because music is something that I love, it's something that's important to me, it's important to our family. Music is an incredible thing. It, it moves us in ways that we can't, we can't understand or explain sometimes. What an interesting passage in the Bible where it talks about how the Lord rejoices over us with singing. Incredible thing. Music has an effect on the emotions. Should we ignore the fact that God has created us body, soul and spirit? God has created us with emotions that make us cry, that make us feel sad, that make us laugh, that make us celebrate. All sorts of things going on in us. The Bible is full of stories of people who expressed themselves to God regardless of how they felt. First Corinthians 10.31 says that whatever you do, 
whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Everything. All of us, all of me, Jesus wants all of me, body, soul and spirit. Our souls are the seat of our emotions, the seat of the will. Our souls are command central in our lives. And our souls engage in worship as well. We use our intellect as we engage with words and songs. Songs that have been written out of deep experiences in people's lives. And when we sing those songs, there's something about their experience resonates with our experience. There's something about the tunes of some of these old hymns that resonates with us. Regardless of the words, take the words away, we hear the tune and it stirs things up within us because it brings back memories of when we connected with God through those songs, through that, the words that went along with that particular tune. And so our whole being is engaged in worship, born out of deep experiences that we have in life and with God. We engage with truth as we sing songs of praise. So many of our songs are written from the Bible. And when we're singing them, we're actually singing words in the Bible. We sing with our spirits and I'm almost finished. Because some people are starting to say, I want to start singing them. Hey, that when you're talking about it, you want to do it. Okay? So I'm getting that. And we're almost finished. The very core of who we are, we are spiritual beings. And we can also see from Scripture that that's how God enables us to worship at that level as spiritual beings. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3 says, We who worship by the Spirit of God. He's talking about we who worship this, not the Spirit of God, but by the Spirit of God. There's something about when the Holy Spirit comes in, fills us, there's something in our hearts that allows us, propels us, motivates us to, to, to worship, to praise God. As we read in John chapter 4 earlier, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit comes and enables us to worship. And there's something about what happens at the heart level. The, 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 the Bible talks of our hearts as, as that kind of whole part of us, that, that the inside part that makes us who we are. And it's in our hearts that we make music before our voices and our instruments do. If it doesn't start in here, then it's not going to come out here, it's not going to come out here or here. It starts in the heart. This is what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in, this, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sing and make music in your heart. I'm listening. What kind of noise is your heart making? Not the boom, 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 boom. Right? Not that noise. Talking about who we are as a person. What noise is it making? Is it a noise of praise? Can we hear the sound of praise rising up from hearts that have been transformed through his power? Can we hear it? Can we hear it in a minute? And not all praise involves words. There can be wordless worship, if we can put it that way, that arises from within us. There's that connection, and it sounds like a cliche, but there's something about when our heart connects with God, and we can be singing the songs, and we can even be playing an instrument and just be totally lost 
in this connection with God and there's just that communion that's happened as we're worshipping God. Something is happening in our spirits and it's rising up to God and God is responding to it. The Bible tells us that he inhabits the praises of his people. God responds to that praise. And when we begin to do that together, the place begins to lift. And you'll know that experience yourself when we say, God was really moving today. Because we gave our all to God, there was that connection, and God responded to it. And as he responds to it, it encourages that which is happening within us. And it's like, it's like a positive feedback type of effect. The more that happens, the more that happens. The more that happens. It's an incredible thing, and it doesn't even need to involve words. It can just be as well standing there, and it can be unspoken, but God understands our hearts. He knows what's going on. He understands the motivation of our hearts. What's the point of saying all this? I think the point of saying all this is that He is worthy of our very best. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of all of us being expressed through praise. And if you want to dance an expression of that, then you go for it. Okay? If you want to sing loudly as an expression of that, then you go for it. If there are times where you just want to sit down and experience God's presence in silence while everybody else is singing around about you, then you go for it. It's about our heart response to God and there's something incredible about when we come together with true hearts and true community to do that. God is looking for our hearts. He's looking for that overflow of praise, of thanksgiving, regardless of the circumstances that we're in. Last question. Are our eyes fixed on Jesus? Because when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, then he begins to put everything else into perspective. There's a, there's a hymn where it says, The things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's something about taking our eyes off of ourselves and focusing them on him and how it puts other things into perspective in life. Can you invite the musicians up? I'm going to pray. I'm going to sing a, a closing song. Um, we're going to take up our offerings and our tithes and just allow God to come and minister to us as we minister to him in song as well. Father, we thank you that you have placed your Holy Spirit within us. Father, we thank you that your desire is for us to live in fullness, to experience life in all its fullness. Father, to live in, in freedom. And Father, we pray that you bring us to that place of utter freedom and abandonment in you. Father, where it doesn't matter what's happening round about us, we declare that we are going to worship you. We declare that we are going to praise you regardless of the circumstances in life. Father, that we come to that place of total surrender to you. And Father, we just pray that if there are things in our hearts which need to be dealt with, things which need to be rooted out, that you would help us to recognize those things, to confess them before you, and Father, to turn around the other way and to give you all of who we are. Father, that our hearts might be surrendered to you, that our hearts might be filled with your Spirit. And Father, that praise rises from our hearts, especially as we come together as a community here. Father, we want that, that praise to rise and give glory to you. And Father, we pray, may our bodies 
and our souls and our spirits be engaged in worship to you. Not just today, not just as a response to today, but Father, every time we come together. Father, when we are on our own, when we're worshipping you in private, maybe in a small group, wherever it is, Father, we pray that we would give you all of us in praise and worship because, Father, we recognise that you are worthy of all our praise. Father, we recognise that you are worth the highest praise above every other thing. And so, Father, we pray that we would put nothing before you just as we're instructed in your word to have no other gods before you. Father, may nothing come before our worship of you. So, Father, we pray, fill us with your spirit. Help us to be your servants and be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.